coming up. Who knows what other reasons the government might have for using DNA that they obtain uh, supposedly for one purpose that ends up being used for some other purpose. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In San Francisco, District Attorney Chesa Boudin said he's learned the San Francisco Police Crime Lab has been using victim DNA from rape kits to identify suspects in unrelated crimes. We're here today to denounce the practice of using rape and sexual assault survivors' DNA without their consent, of storing their DNA indefinitely, and using it for purposes totally unrelated to the prosecution of their abusers. And in Louisiana, friends and family of a 21-year-old University of New Orleans student are trying to figure out what happened early Saturday morning leading to her death. Her friends know she took an Uber to her apartment in the middle of the night. I was in denial because, like, I texted her on Friday and we made plans. Reed, start by telling us a little more about these really troubling allegations from the San Francisco district attorney. Yeah, they, they are troubling. San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin said last week that he learned DNA collected from victims or survivors of sexual violence was being used by San Francisco police to identify them as possible suspects in other crimes. So just to make clear, we're not talking about DNA from the perpetrators in these cases. We're talking about DNA from the victims that have been collected in the aftermath of them being assaulted. And did Boudin share any examples of cases where this DNA had actually been used? He did. He specifically cited one case where he says a woman was arrested for a property crime that she'd been linked to based on DNA that had been collected years earlier as part of a rape kit. And that DNA was apparently entered into a database at the time. And the allegation is that the San Francisco Police Crime Lab used that database to identify her as a suspect in this other case. And the DA said he doesn't think that it was just this one case or even just this one department doing this. The SFPD crime lab and likely other crime labs around the state have, as a matter of routine practice and policy, been storing DNA from every sexual assault or rape kit that gets gathered in a database. And we know that as a matter of routine practice, they have been testing DNA from future unrelated crime scenes against that database. In this case, Reed, you said it was a property crime, so a completely unrelated crime and really a relatively minor crime. Is it even legal for police to use this DNA for other purposes? As it turns out, that's a pretty complicated question. Our partner station, KGW, to the north of California in Portland has been looking into that a little bit more. They talked to a professor at Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland, Tong Yin, who said, to his knowledge, there hasn't really been a situation like this before, that there's not really a law against doing this, not necessarily because it's constitutional, that's something that would be up to the courts, but because it hasn't been thought of, is how he put it. The Fourth Amendment of the Constitution protects people from unreasonable searches and seizures by the government, and Yin said that obtaining DNA is essentially considered a search under the Fourth Amendment. That's why when police are going after a suspect and trying to get DNA, they can't force that person to give them a DNA sample, at least not before an arrest or in many states before a conviction. But once that DNA is lawfully obtained and in the system, it sticks around and it can be used as evidence in the future for a different crime. Same goes for fingerprints when they're given voluntarily or obtained lawfully. 
But obviously, this situation is a lot different. We're not talking about people that are suspected of a crime. When DNA is obtained from a victim in a rape case, it's because that person came forward after this traumatic experience in the hopes that doing so would help the police track down their rapist and get that person convicted. Some ways we say, well, you know, people's fingerprints are in the system. You get fingerprinted for different reasons, and it can come back to be used in a criminal investigation. But, um, you know, I guess there's something particularly maybe distasteful about being the, uh, the victim of sexual assault and rape, you know, such a, a horrible, intimate crime, and then having the very evidence of that used for what seems to be a relatively minor uh, type of uh, non-personal injury crime. Again, our station that looked into this is in Portland, not in San Francisco, where this has allegedly been occurring. And the district attorney for Multnomah County, the county where Portland is located, told KGW that his office would never do this, would never use rape kits to prosecute people who've experienced sexual violence. He actually said that doing that, quote, isn't justice, it's abuse, and then went on to say, quote, when a victim discloses an assault, our victim advocates and prosecutors have two goals, hold the perpetrators accountable and help the victim to heal. Reed, have we heard a response from police in San Francisco where this has allegedly been going on? In response to the allegation, San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said he's ordered an investigation into the claims that if the allegations are true, he'll end the practice. KGW also reported that leaders in San Francisco have asked the city attorney's office to draft new legislation that would bar the use of rape kit evidence for any purpose other than investigating the rape. And I think the question from there, after making sure this isn't still happening, is going to be, if this is all true, why was it allowed to happen? As we heard the DA lay out, the allegation is not that this happened once or twice, which would already be inexcusable, but he said he thinks the SFPD crime lab and potentially other labs in California have been doing this as routine practice. Yeah, that routine part of this is just so troubling. It seems like maybe the biggest concern here is that people who've experienced sexual violence will hear about this sort of thing happening and then choose not to come forward. Exactly. And if that happens, these cases are that much less likely to be solved. You know, is it so important, just talking about the case mentioned by the San Francisco DA, is it so important to close a property crime case that you'd be willing to risk leaving rape cases unsolved? The Sexual Assault Resource Center in Beaverton, Oregon, shared a comment with KGW saying, a practice like this could be detrimental to those in our community who've experienced sexual violence and that it could affect a person's decision to report what happened and to seek a medical exam following a sexual assault. And their comment made sure to point out, and this is something that's important to share, people can get an exam without having their DNA collected, but a lot of people don't know that. And they went on to say, quote, imagine doing one of the hardest things you've ever had to do in your life, to come forward and share that this has happened to you and to have the result be that you find yourself in legal trouble. That's also something Professor Tung Yin commented on as well, that of course survivors of sexual assault are less likely to come forward if they think their DNA could be used against them in the future. What happens if I report this? Uh, will I end up in a similar situation? Now, you know, most people, of course, aren't really going to be thinking that they'll be committing crimes. But, um, you know, who knows what other reasons the government might have for using DNA that they obtain uh, supposedly for one purpose that ends up being used for some other purpose. Last Saturday morning, February 19th, sometime before 7 a.m., 21-year-old Kaya Whetstone was taken to a New Orleans hospital where she was pronounced dead. Will, what have you been able to learn about this case? Reed, at this point, New Orleans police are calling this an unclassified death. 
so detectives have not said if they suspect foul play. The coroner has said that Whetstone's cause and manner of death are also still under investigation. But let me back up and tell you what we know, mostly from Kaya's friends who spoke to WWL-TV in New Orleans. Kaya went to a Mardi Gras parade on Friday. That was her first Mardi Gras parade since she's lived in New Orleans and has been going to school there. They say she later went to a bar. And again, this is all happening the night before she was taken to the hospital. After going to that bar, details of her whereabouts are unclear. They really don't know what happened. At some point, friends and her roommate specifically says she took an Uber to her apartment in the middle of the night. Can you tell us a little bit more about Kaya Whetstone, about her life leading up to last weekend? Yeah, Kaya moved to New Orleans from South Carolina in August to attend University of New Orleans. Her friends say Kaya was friendly and outgoing. And she loved it here. She loved it here so much. Kaya seemed the good in everybody, so... And she was a very friendly person. Extremely uplifting, very extroverted person. She called me her soul sister. Reese White met Kaya Whetstone in August of last year when she came to New Orleans for college, and they were matched up as roommates. They quickly became good friends. According to Reese White, Whetstone's Uber driver actually came inside the apartment with her when she came home around one in the morning, and then they left again after a few minutes. And she said, well, this is my friend, Reese. I just met him. I said, Kaya, you need to stop getting in the car with strangers. And I tried to convince her before she left back out to stay home. So that stop home was sometime around one in the morning. The next thing we know is that Kaya's dropped off at a hospital early Saturday morning. Are, are there any further details on that? Just a little bit. According to the New Orleans Police Department, Whetstone arrived at the New Orleans East Hospital just before 7 o'clock Saturday morning in a private vehicle, not an ambulance. She was then pronounced dead at the hospital. New Orleans police have not confirmed who drove her there, so obviously that's a critical question and one that a lot of people are asking. So at this point, there's really just a lot we don't know about what happened to Kaya. I think that's what make it worse, because it's like, an open question of what happened to her. Have we heard anything from Uber about the case? Yes, an Uber spokesperson released a statement saying, our thoughts are with Kaya Whetstone's family as they grieve the loss of their daughter. We stand ready to assist law enforcement with their investigation. Uber has removed the driver's access from the rideshare app as this incident is being investigated. And they've also reminded drivers and riders they can report any incident or accident via the app or through Uber's safety incident reporting line. All right. Thank you, Will. Anyone with additional information on this incident is asked to contact the New Orleans Police Department Homicide Unit detectives or to call anonymously to Crime Stoppers of Greater New Orleans. Thanks to our partner station, WWL in New Orleans, which has been covering this case as well as KGW in Portland for their coverage of our first story today. And as always, thanks to you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever you're listening right now. If you're looking for more podcasts, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows that includes our newest podcast, Killer Cases. That'll do it for this one. For Vault Studios, along with Will Johnson, I'm Reed Redmond.